Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. Andrew Brooker. Hello. Matt Lamborn. Hello. And this is in a week where most of us, not Matt though, we did invite him, <laughs> he couldn't be bothered, turned up and met each other in a pub in London. And um, yeah, we didn't all fall out. We're all still friends. Yay. Woo. We made a new friend. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. We have a new celebrity friend. Exactly. In the um, loosest sense of the term. Yeah. Um, that was the after that party by the way, I'm calling it a party, the meeting, that was the worst hangover I've ever had. I, I was, really I really was, drank more than I, I thought I had. I was sick on the train, but I don't think it was alcohol, I think it was food because I had a bad stomach for like two days. Just nerves. No, I think it was, <laughs> I think it was the food and that it's what you get for eating in a Weatherspoons? <laughs> I can usually tolerate. I didn't even do a beer and burger meal with that Weatherspoons. There was something wrong with that place. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. real Weatherspoons. It was fake. No. It's a bit posher than your average <laughs> Weatherspoons, is it? Mm, what what? Yeah, no, no beer and burger meal in that Weatherspoons does not get a good review on the TripAdvisor. <laughs> yeah, but um, it was a good meet. We had fun. I thought. Yeah, man. Yeah. Good it's good to finally meet people face to face. But yeah, some of yeah. you. <laughs> I don't know if, if Paul did genuinely upset Liam or not. Don't. Uh, I, th- I think he was mortified that he might have done. He, I think he was. Gen- Paul was genuinely upset that he might have genuinely upset someone. That was uh, <laughs> how it seemed to go. But, you know, I think um, Paul's going to pull. So... Yeah, yeah, he's genuinely such a nice guy, Paul. And bringing us all Danny Dyer DVDs was just spectacular. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's that's enough backslapping for now, I suppose. Yeah, and, we'll talk about it later. Right? Yeah, um, but on to the quiz. Before we start the quiz in in earnest, um, Callum, I have watched uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Um, yeah, I could. I can kind of see why. It might sound really insulting, actually, the camera. I can kind of see why he liked it, but I just wasn't too keen on it. It just fell a bit flat for me. Um, Is it just like a, a typical American comedy? Or yeah, I think it's meant to kind of spoof films of its type, like uh, you know. But yeah, it just even though it had quite a decent cast in it as well, it just it just fell flat for me. It just didn't really. 
keep me what, amused. What type, what type of film is it actually spoofing then? Is well, it just just like typical spring break sort of holiday films or? Well, it's like set in a an American summer camp, mm-hmm. like, um, and it's like following, I suppose, more than anything, the the camp little like the teenagers they get, like in the camps looking after the kids, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of I suppose trying to parody or or riff on those kind of films that take themselves a bit more seriously but are in that ilk, and it's just yeah. Just um, never really got going for me. Never really made me laugh much or engage me that much. It's just like, uh, so. What you're what you're essentially saying is you would have preferred Kill Keith again, or United Passions, or The Room, or no. Cutthroat Island. No, or, no, none of those. No, just no. Um, <laughs> what, what score are we currently at in the quiz with me in the quiz chair, Owen? One all, I think. Okay, well, for this quiz, I have found some translations into foreign languages um, of movie titles. And Brooker and Matt, (laughs) you are up against Owen um, and having to guess what films these are. So this this is what happens when you translate this film uh, into Chinese. You get six naked pigs. (laughs) What?! Six naked pigs. This was the the title of the move of this particular movie in China. Porkies. No. <laughs> You're allowed one guess each. Is this a literal translation or just what they called it over? The, the website doesn't give me that much information on this um, that I found these on that. It just says this is a translation of the film title into that language. Six little pigs. One one guess each. You're allowed. For us, we could be here forever. Babe. No, there's only one pig in Babe, Owen. Or six. <laughs> that... Yeah, okay. I've no idea. Have a guess, Matt. Any film. Um. I can't. I can't <laughs> think of anything. I can't think of anything piggy related, other than Babe. Don't think babe and porkies. Alright, I'll give you a clue. Don't think piggy related. Don't think pig. Think six. Um... <laughs> God, this is going to fall flat on its horse. Just give us the next one, <laughs> Steve. The answer to that one was yeah. the full Monty. <laughs> oh, God. Great. Okay, this one is, is in Italian uh, or into Italian and it's if you leave me, I delete you. If you leave me, I delete you. Huh? No. You've got mail. No. Eraser. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. <laughs> oh, God. It made so much sense, though. Yeah. That film's all right. It's okay. Right. Um... <laughs> Maybe a slightly like slightly easier one now, and we're moving to Israel and the film title The Gun Died Laughing. <laughs> the Gun Died Laughing. Die Hard? No. Quick clue for the other two if you haven't answered yet. In the, the proper film title, this one I've translated it into has two of the same words. She has two of the same words. 
two well, of the same word, and the gun. The, what, the gun what dies? The gun died laughing. A gun. Uh... Should we? Are there any particular words in that translation we should be focusing on, or is it completely abstract? Um, completely, completely abstract. I don't know really. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. Just does it? Is it like a literal translation, or is it a no? No. Okay. So it's a film about a gun that dies laughing. So I'm guessing a gun would be a cowboy or a cop. Dies laughing, and there's the same word in the title twice. There's two of the words in the gun died laughing. Two of those words in the actual film title. So probably the... I think I know what it is now. You've had your guess, haven't you? Oh, let me back in, for God's sake. <laughs> Go on, then, you're back in the game. The Naked Gun. It is. Oh, well done. 1-0 to Matt and Brooker. Yeah. The next one... Now, this is going to be quite hard, but I had to pick it because it's, the translation is brilliant. It's, it's Japan, and I'm drunk, and you're a prostitute. <laughs> Lost in translation? No. <laughs> I was going to say that. So I'm glad you went steaming in there. I'm drunk in your prostitutes. Showgirl. Woman? No, no, neither of those. Uh, the correct answer was leaving Las Vegas. Well, that is literal. Join <laughs> me. Uh, this one here. We'll go first to three, or until we get really bored of this whole process. Uh, but the next one is. France and sexy dance. Uh, Emily? No. It's not a French film. It's just what the title is in, in France. <laughs> the, so in French, it translates to sexy dance. Sexy dance. That's terrifying. Did, you, get, did you catch my guess, sir? What was your guess? Striptease. No. Dirty dancing. No. Grease. No. The correct answer is step up. Sexy dance, God's sake. Oh, he's sexy. Oh. Right. <laughs> Next up, from Spain, Night of the Night. <laughs> Good God. It's got to be Batman. Yeah, or... But so... which Batman? The Dark Knight. It is the Dark Knight. <laughs> <laughs> Brooker That's... and Matt 2, Owen nil. Mm, I can't win then. If it was best of three, isn't it? First of three. I'm first to three. Okay, game on. There was don't don't dare was get one right. Owen, <laughs> this isn't quite literal translation, depending on how you look at it. Uh, Argentina and Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> Just think, what is Vaseline a kind of? Uh... It's a kind of lube. A yeah, but there's no film. It is grease. Oh. <laughs> that's fucking spectacular. Uh, so yes, that's, that's a victory for Brooker and Matt. If you can call it that. It's a whitewash. Yeah. It's a satisfying victory. Yeah. Uh, Dirty Harry in France translates to Inspector Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Leon in China is this hitman is not as cold as you thought. <laughs> <laughs> that 
sounds more like the German. See, the sixth fence in China is just ruining the whole film from the start. It's called He's a Ghost. <laughs> wow. Uh, in China, also, the Shawshank Redemption is Excitement 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray for fucking marketing. Yeah. Amazing. I think uh, they should let me come up with names of films. Uh, in Israel, Cloudy for Chance of Meatballs is It's Raining Falafel. <laughs> 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 and in Thailand, the water boy is Dimwit Surges 4. <laughs> it's career in a nutshell, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, have you seen the advert for Pixels? Oh, God. Yeah, I won't be watching that. No, thank you. I don't Have know. This... I want to see that. I don't know if there's some selective editing in Malaysia's version of Austin Powers, but uh, rather than the spy who shagged me, they got the spy who behaved very nicely around me. <laughs> Wow, yeah, they're getting the TV edit. Yeah. Uh, China's American Pie is American Virgin Man. <laughs> you'll, you'll like this one. Oh, in Army of Darkness is uh, Captain Supermarket in Japan. Captain Supermarket, yes. Greatest Avenger ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we should have used him for our Marvel character. Oh, yeah. That game, that would have been good. Instead of Alas. Who, who did we end up with? Anyway. Oh, um... In, in the Czech Republic, bad Santa is Santa is a pervert. Right. Yeah, that's very right. Generally, I guess. Was that just, um, just my own? Never mind. Man who sneaks into little kids' bedrooms. You're absolutely right, he is. Yeah. Uh, in Croatia, the cat in the hat is cat don't touch his hat. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's your lot. We've, nice. all, had a, we've all had Lafo in... Now two one down. Um, yeah, and a step close to watching United Passions again. Uh, no, <laughs> not doing that ever again. What if I managed to cut somehow an edit of Kill Keith and United Passions together? Kill Passions. It. Kill Blatter. Kill Blatter. Um, it would probably still make as much sense as either film, singularly. You know, just mashing them together. Well, there we go then. Um, yes, on to the news then. Um, and Owen, why don't you start us off with this news? Yes, it's the most exciting news we've ever broadcast on the Failed Critics podcast. Only Danny Dyer retweeted and followed us at the weekend. Follows 465 accounts. We're one of them. Has a million followers. Oh, yes. We're That's, one of them. Yeah. It's not a humble brag. It's just a brag. There's no nothing humble about this. I am chuffed. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he followed us because at the meet at the weekend, Paul decided to buy a load of Danny Dyer's films for like a penny each. And dished them out like treats um, to everyone who was there. Like Bad Santa the Pervert. Like, <laughs> exactly. Uh, ex- yeah, literally exactly like that. Uh, that it would describe Paul quite well. Bad Santa the Pervert. Um, it's on his business card, I believe. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
Yeah, we all got Danny Dyer films. We took a picture of us all holding up the Danny Dyer films. And um, he retweeted it with, uh, I'll give you as a tenner for the lot. So, oh, Matt, can you just do that so it sounds right? So, I'll give you as a tenner for the lot in a da- in your best Danny Dyer impression. Oi, you fucking say. I'll give you a fucking tenner for the lot. Don't fucking bring him into my pub. <laughs> yes, exactly like that. That's, that's exactly how it was read, uh, read on the... Where's, where's Sorry, he from? Danny. Where's he from? <laughs> Dagenham or something, I don't know. Dagenham. Yeah. Okay. But uh, there we go. So that was the first... I was, I was so pleased about that. I may have been slightly drunk at the time and over-celebrated it, but uh, it's there. It's an achievement. That's going on my CV at the minute. So... I am personally gutted to not have been a part of this. It, but it, it was very fun to, to observe from afar. <laughs> it was fun to observe within. Um, so just like, it's great actually to finally have met some people like face to face. For example... Well, have you not met anyone before? Exactly, I've been living a sheltered life. This is the first time I've met any... He's only met his wife in his entire life. Exactly. And but Steve, it's not the first time he's been outside. It was on my own, yeah, un- unassisted. Um, but yeah, you know, obviously me and Brooker have met before in person and um, met Paul before, I've met Carol before, but I'd never, like, this is weird, I guess, in a way. But considering for like 100 episodes, me, Steve and James all podcasted together, that was the first time we'd ever been in the same room, so to speak. It's yeah. a, it was a strange feeling to meet some people face to face that you've spoken to almost every week for three years. I hate every minute of it. <laughs> you could tell. Um, no, I genuinely, I genuinely was pleased with it. And hopefully when we run the next one, if more people are interested in coming and you're listening to this and, you know, um, and you, you fancy joining us next time, I don't know if I've sold it very well, but... You're more than welcome to join us, and I would encourage people to come. It's you know the more the merrier. It was a good, really good laugh. Um, but it's not really film news, I guess. So the other film news is the Spectre trailer, the new James Bond film. The trailer for that has come out by the time you're listening to this, probably. And obviously, we're recording this on Tuesday, so we've not seen it yet. We've got nothing to comment on apart from. What are we expecting the trailer to be like, I guess? Good? Bad? Tiny 30-second teaser? Or exciting? Or looking like Quantum of Solace? Or looking like Skyfall? I mean, what's the what's the general verdict? I'm only oh, interested in seeing Monica Bellucci. I don't give a fuck about that, <laughs> of it, to be honest. It's just needs still, just a HD image. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be typical Bond trailer. There'll be some actiony bits. There'll be Bond looking cool, and there'll be some bit birds. Yeah, sounds about right. It'll be thirty seconds long. Bit of, bit of Bond music, and him standing there looking like a mug in his fucking black turtleneck, and that'll be it. Yeah, That's my prediction. Yeah, pointing his gun to the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta have that in there. Probably looking a bit smug and pouting slightly, as Daniel Craig always does. Yeah, I'm not that excited about Spectre, despite the fact I really enjoyed Skyfall, and I wasn't expecting to, because I'm not a huge, like, um, 
some people obsess over James Bond, and I've never, I've never really been like that. I've enjoyed some of the films, but Skyfall, I was just, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun watching that. Yet, Spectre's not really exciting me too much. I mean, is it just me, or are, are yeah. you guys big Bond fans and looking forward I'm to it? I'm not a big Bond fan as it is. I mean, I watch the films when they're out, they're fine, uh, you know, perfectly enjoyable. I'm not one of these, like, obsessive Bond fans. Hmm. Well, people get very protective over it because I think it's like, um, you know, the phrase, a, a British institution, James Bond. So people automatically become very defensive about it. Um, or just and like, like Partridge, that, stop getting Bond stop wrong. Stop getting Bond wrong, yeah. Um, but also, I think as well as that, there's a lot of nostalgia with Bond. You know, when we were younger... Stuff like I'm saying we because we're all pretty much the same age. Um, but like Goldeneye was huge because of the film and the game, really. And I think it was a, that generates a lot of goodwill, a lot of nostalgia for people for any Bond film that comes out. So there's always a degree of excitement. People old, slightly older than us, will obviously remember the older films with Roger Morse and uh, did I just call him Roger Morse? Sorry, Roger Moore. And, um, you know, Sean Connery and all that kind of thing. So, yeah. But personally, Spectre's not really doing anything for me, I'm afraid. Nah, I'll get excited for it when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. And presumably the trailer will try to track every last plot detail as well. So, as with most trailers, I'll probably avoid it until it's unavoidable, until I'm sat in front of it in a cinema. Except the Suicide Squad and the Batman film. I did watch the trailers for those, and I thought they were quite good. Um, yeah, but that that's it for me. Matt, you've got some news that you're excited about, haven't you? Yeah, just a little bit of news. Um, something that might not be necessarily of interest to absolutely everybody, but in the last 24 hours, a new trailer came out for what will be a live-action version of a very popular Japanese anime movie called Attack on Titan. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the premise of Attack on Titan is set at some point in human history, most of humanity has been wiped out by giant humanoid monsters. So if you imagine something a little bit like Pacific Rim, where the monsters have already won, and the last remnants of humanity are living in small and close cities protected by giant uh, stone walls to keep out these enormous monsters who sort of raid on their townships every so many years or so. And it's... You'd never tell this was an anime before, would you? <laughs> no, I mean it, it's it's a bit of a classic Japanese sort of premise if you're into sort of like kaiju stuff like Godzilla yeah. and that that we've covered before. But it's an extremely popular anime, and it has quite a Western backing in terms of the home release of the animated uh, series, which came out in the early part of this decade, so 2011, 2012, I think. Um, the trailer is absolutely fantastic. Um, it looks like a bit of a cross between something like Battle Royale and Pacific Rim, if we're trying to quickly generalise what it looks like at a glance. Um, and the the Titans themselves are all done in CGI, but they look very scary. So this isn't going to go for something like a, a PG or uh, 12A sort of certification. It's going something slightly higher, more like a 15. It looks quite gory. And if you've never seen any of these uh, Titans before, they're, they're quite horrific looking. Uh, some of them have their sort of flesh worn on the outside and don't have any skin, so they look really monstrous. So if 
that tickles your fancy whatsoever, I'd highly recommend you go check out uh, check out the trailer. Uh, although at this point, it's not clear whether it's going to get released in the West, so it might be something that hits Japanese cinemas and then makes it to uh, DVD in America and the UK at a, a later point. But definitely worth checking out. And is if that it does tickle your fancy at all, pardon? Is it being made in Japan? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a Japanese movie. Yeah. So if that tickles your fancy at all, um, you might be interested in the Adultimation series, which I every now and then dip into on the Fellow Critics website, where we cover classic anime movies. So uh, give them a go. I have had the um, series on my uh, list on Netflix for ages, because it's on UK Netflix, I believe, the, the, the series you mentioned. Yeah. Um, I just I haven't got around to it yet, but everyone who's seen it, who I've, you know, it's on my list because I wouldn't normally add it, but so many people commented on how much they enjoyed it that I thought, well, I've got to get around to giving it a go at some point. Um, do you reckon it'll be worth watching that before the film or, you know? Uh, I don't think you, you need to see it um, to probably enjoy what they're going to do with the movie, but I think it's worth checking out, definitely, if you're into this kind of monster action type movie mm. it does have some strange sort of mythological twists in there um it's not as straightforward as monsters versus humans there's more to it a deeper lying story to it but i'd recommend it yeah um but i can't imagine that the movie will be as such that you need to have seen those animated mm. um sure. videos to, to enjoy the live action i think it'll be a separate entity or I think what I understand they're doing it because Attack on Titan is quite a long series mm-hmm. that they're condensing the whole series into two movies and they're going to bring them out in the space of a year. So a bit like what they did with all the rings, if you like. Didn't they do something similar with um, Neon Genesis? Uh, Not sure. Evangelion, yeah. That, I think that, they that did. That sound about right. Yeah, yeah. Those films made no sense to me. I just didn't get it. Because my wife's a big fan of the series. Um, she watched it like when she was growing up and it was you know it's a big thing for her she sat down to watch the film with me the like condensed version of the entire first series into about 90 minutes and sitting there thinking this is this is just incomprehensible what's happening so i had to keep asking her and i've I've always had that feeling with any time they do something like this with an anime and they try to turn it into a film it loses a bit of um what makes it whole if you like yeah, I mean, it might not be quite as pure in terms of what they do with the the mythology of mm. the series because it's stretched out over a longer period of time and it's more time to sort of build up the characterization and whatnot. But the action looks very impressive, so they're going to get that right at mm. least and maybe the, the plot to a certain degree will be a little bit of an afterthought. But for a popcorn action movie, it looks pretty cool. Cool. Because I did, I enjoyed Pacific Rim. I know it, it knew exactly what it was, and so if it sort of follows a similar, you know, all it, it knows it's just got big monsters in it and people fighting big monsters and stuff, then I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm a big Pacific Rim fan, and uh, so I'd definitely be looking forward to to seeing this when it eventually gets finished later this year. But yeah, go check out the trailer. It's if you just Google it, it's going to come up with multiple hits. So check it out. <laughs> what we've been watching now we take a look at the films we've seen outside the cinema in the last week or so and Owen why don't you start us off with this section 
Sure, yeah, I can do. Um, last week I watched, well, I've been, I watched a couple of, I think I talked about some documentaries I watched last podcast that we recorded. Um, I, a couple of those were Werner Herzog documentaries that I watched and enjoyed. I also watched a couple of his dramas that I was still catching up on, including um, Strozek from 1977. And it's a film hit that Werner Herzog both directed and wrote. And um, it basically, the film starts with you're introduced to this guy called Bruno, Bruno Strozek, uh, on his release from prison in Germany. Because uh, Werner Herzog's German, Bruno S, the guy playing Bruno Strozek is German. It's set in Germany to begin with. But you never know what he's actually done to get into prison. All you know is that he's now being released and that he's somewhat simple and kind of a self-destructive alcoholic. Anyway, he returns home to his old friend um, and his girlfriend who has been kind of prostituting herself out and is in trouble with these two kind of rough pimp sort of fellas. Um, anyway, to kind of escape everything, to cut a long story short, they move to America. So the film follows them as they leave Germany, move to this mobile home in Wisconsin in, in America. I bloody love this film. I thought it was fantastic. I've, I've really enjoyed a lot of Werner Herzog's films that I've seen. Um, Heart of Glass was one which I watched as well last week, which was just far too lucid and weird for me. I always, I mean, I always do love Herzog's films, but... Um, yeah, Heart of Glass. It's kind of about a small Bavarian village and these guys who make uh, ruby glass. Or the guy who's in charge of this glass-making facility and they make this ruby glass. And it's a big secret, but he dies suddenly and nobody else knows how to do it, so the town's in trouble. But what was interesting about that film was all of the actors in it, all of them, were performing whilst under hypnosis. So that they had a hypnotist in who hypnotised all of the actors and actresses before they started filming so everyone's a bit strange and it kind of is meant to replicate a dreamlike nature where everything's just a bit not quite right and things don't seem quite natural so like you've got a guy in that film who's just standing there and picks up a handkerchief and drops it and you know he's kind of not aware of what he's doing but as you're watching it you're thinking what the fuck is going on here um so it was, which is an amazing idea it's an incredible idea it, gave, it makes it it does seem very lucid and dreamlike but it's just so weird but anyway yes Strozek, sorry um I loved it. Bruno S., uh, the guy who plays the main character, um, I saw him in The Enigma of Casper Hauser a while back, and I did review that on the podcast as well. And he was brilliant in that. He's brilliant again in this. But in his life, he only made seven films. And only two of them, his first two films, were by Werner Herzog. And um, I'm going to read a bit out of his page from Wikipedia, taking a, a, a hint from... Uh, Friends over at Wikishuffle, who do this more professionally than me, but um, it says here, Herzog claimed that uh, Schleinstein, who Bruno S. is full name, Schleinstein, was deeply suspicious of the director and nervous of performing in front of the cameras, so had to be listened to for several hours on set in order to build his self-esteem. Uh, he was a bit strange. Basically, what happened was Werner Herzog saw a documentary in 1970 about Bruno because he'd spent long periods of his youth in men's mental institutions. He was, uh, you know, suffered from various different, different problems. I think from the videos I've seen, he's probably got Asperger's syndrome. Um, but you know, I don't think that was ever diagnosed, but anyway, 
Um, but it says here, Schleinstein died on 11th of August 2010 after suffering heart problems. Shortly after his death, Werner Herzog remarked, In all my films and with all the great, great actors with whom I have worked, he was the best. There is no one who comes close to him. I mean, in his humanity and the depth of his performance, there is no one like him. Which is an, an enormous compliment from someone like Werner Herzog. You know, he's worked with um, Christian Bale recently, um, as, as recently as sort of 2007, I think. He's worked with uh, Klaus Kinski a lot. He was sort of his muse for a while. So it's, it's an enormous compliment to pay. To pay Bruno S, um, but he he I genuinely can't genuinely can't get over how much I enjoyed his performance. He he was exceptional in this. But the film itself is really good. You get to I love the music in it because this Bruno guy also plays a glockenspiel uh, in the film and a, and a um, an accordion at the same time, which is pretty impressive. It's got a great soundtrack to it. It's a bit folky and um, mirrors the sort of nature of the film. So it's just a, a slightly comedic drama, but. Yeah, of the two films with this Bruno in, I think Casper Hauser is just about the better film overall. But that's not to do a disservice to Strozek because it's still better than most films I've watched this year. And it's just, it's got such a fantastic ending to it as well. So I, I highly recommend it to anyone who's a fan of Herzog or wants a more kind of accessible Werner Herzog drama to start with. Okay, uh, I watched one of the Danny Dyer <laughs> films that Paul bestowed upon me and that was um, The Other Half and it's a film about Danny Dyer going on his honeymoon to Portugal at the same time as Euro 2004 and trying to see all of England's group matches um, it's, it's just the one that you gave me and then took a, a steelbook copy well, of this, this, it wasn't quite a steelbook but the, uh, okay. it was basically the DVD had two different covers uh, Paul bought the DVD <laughs> twice somehow. They're two very distinct covers. Now, one was just kind of Danny making it look like it was a kind of romantic comedy caper film with Danny Dyer in it. And then it seemed like the marketing people thought, well, people like Danny Dyer being a football hooligan. So what we're going to do <laughs> is make a cover for this that makes him look like a football hooligan and make it look like a hooligan film when it's yeah. not. No. Is it um, actually more like a, a sort of rom-com then? It's a rom-com like caper. Yeah. Like, but it's it's not very good. Um, Danny dies. Shocking. Shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, not in his like, but he's not his like. I'm oh, fucking Danny Dyer. I'm gonna cut you, you cunt. Um, <laughs> like, that was better than my it, impression, by the way. Yeah. His very popular catchphrase. I'm gonna yeah. cut you, you cunt. Yeah. But like, you know, and he's not even easy. He's like a nice guy in this. He's just a nice lad who loves football, but loves his girlfriend or his wife, and he's trying to find a way of watching all the games. The, but the thing is, it's the film's made weird. It's like, it, it, it's like somebody said to the people producing and directing, it's like, like they're on a course. It's like you've got to put all these elements in. To, to show us how good you are at filmmaking, like to show what different things you can do. So there's just like weird bits where it's like weird freeze frames for no reason and weird cuts for no reason and weird like slow motion bits for no reason. Um, and then there's this other weird bit. Have you seen that sitcom with uh, Rafe Spall, um, Pete versus Life, where they've got the commentators like commentating on what he's doing? Mm, I don't like, think so. 
it's a thing anyway. Well, there's this in the <laughs> in this film. There's this is there's a pair of commentators that are, are following Danny Dyer and his wife around everywhere uh, in like a van, commentating on what starting off anyway, commentating on what he's doing and what they're doing, and using football analogies to describe what they're doing. Which doesn't work a lot of the time. Some of it's absolute nonsense. So, like you sentences like to do a football that make absolutely no sense whatsoever to what the couple are doing. But it seems to like abandon that they're they're meant to be following Danny Dar and his wife around. They just become like a, a side plot of their own that just makes no sense and isn't funny in what shape, any way, shape, or form. It's just a really weirdly put together film. Like it's just really weirdly constructed with lots of different gimmicks and things in it. It just doesn't make sense. Oh, well, I look forward to watching my copy of it then. I mean, at least they grounded <laughs> it in reality and didn't have Danny Dyer going to watch England play in a final. Yeah. Um, I suppose. They kept their feet on the ground with their expectations of the national team there. Yeah, if nothing else, it was a down-to-earth rom-com. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and the person who plays his wife, Gillian Tierney, all right, I don't know what accent she's trying to do. But it's, it sounds like she's trying to do English, Irish, and American all out the same mouth at the same time. <laughs> um, and it's irritating. Another thing is strange is he hasn't got like a group of friends out in Portugal that he's trying to sneak off and meet up with. He's just like on his own, going to, trying to find games to go to on his own. Um, yeah, it's just not. It's not good, Danny. Sorry, <laughs> you've done. You've done better. Yeah. Really have. Anyone else watch any of their Danny Dyer films that Paul gave him yet? I got away scot free. I didn't bring a Danny Dyer film home with me. <laughs> I I haven't, but I've yeah, I've not really had time to this week. But I will. I will watch them. Uh, I wish I could remember which ones I've got. But <laughs> I think I've got Dead Man Running as well. Okay. If that's if that is one. If if anything can make a. Danny Dyer movie better is adding 50 Cent to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 50 Cent Jackson or well, whatever he's in Southpaw as well, apparently. So. He is. I'm terrified about that. He's also in a film called Righteous Kill, which reunited Al Pacino and Robert, and Robert De, Niro. De Niro. Yeah. I'd like to think he was the catalyst in that. They're like, I'm not doing it, and there's 50 Cent is involved. Um, he was in Spy. He's uh he's definitely trying to get his oh, money, yeah. money at the moment. Now he's been declared he's bankrupt. bankrupt. Yeah, deserved thing. his money, whatever he was paid for spy. Old Philly. <laughs> yeah. Um, having Miranda Hart sweat all over you. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Just money in the world. Anyway, um, Brooker, what have you seen? So I I watched a film I really wanted to watch actually when it was at the cinema. And it was gone so quick over here. I didn't get a chance. I watched Ryan Reynolds' The Voices. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I also haven't seen it yet. It's a really kind of... Well, I mean, I read... I read The Back of the Box, and I read... I think Callum reviewed it. Mm-hmm. And he loved it, yeah. Yeah, he did. Uh, I I kind of went... This, this seems... I like really dark comedies. Like, I went in to things like In Bruges and it didn't bother me how dark it got I still thought it was one of the funniest films I'd ever seen <laughs> I was really really looking forward to a really dark comedy I was not expecting it to be as dark as it actually is <laughs> it is really grim but it is so so good so it's it, uh, Ryan Reynolds plays Jerry 
uh, I suppose, I don't know, is this schizophrenic? Maybe. Basically lives his life based on what his pets tell him to do. And he's got two, two pets that he talks to, his dog, Bosco, and his cat, Mr. Whiskers, who has the single greatest uh, evil Scottish accent <laughs> in the history of all evil Scottish people ever. Like, this dude, this cat is fantastic. He, uh, and they basically, the cat is the little devil on his shoulder, and mm-hmm. the dog is a little angel, and they try and pull him in different directions. But Ryan Reynolds, doesn't matter how hard he tries, ends up being a serial killer. And first off, he kills uh, Jim Rathton, who is fantastic. I will watch Jim Rathton in anything. Like, absolutely anything. I think the first thing I saw him was uh, The Disappearance of Alice Creed. Okay. And she was spectacular in that. She's uh, uh, she's very good in uh, Byzantium. I, didn't, I wouldn't think is. too much of the film itself. I was a bit disappointed, but I thought she was very good in it. See, she's just one of those actresses, I think, you know, is going to be fantastic no matter how crap the film ends up being. Mm. Uh, yeah. I'm not saying Voices is crap at all. I no. adored it. And if you haven't seen it, you have to dig out a copy. It is absolutely amazing. Jim Rathton's head in Ryan Reynolds' fridge talking to him. <laughs> just outstanding. I really, I, I wasn't convinced I'd love it as much as I actually did. But yeah, when I came away from it, I was gobsmacked just how good this film is. Absolutely brilliant. Don't believe the shitty score. It's got an IMDb. It's awesome. Okay. And uh, Matt. So yeah, I sort of caught the mighty Terminator <laughs> Genesis at the arse end of of the last week or so. So because I didn't get a chance to discuss it with you guys on the podcast when you reviewed it, I thought I would touch on it ever so slightly. Particularly as Owen fairly recently released an article whereby we all picked our favourite five films of the year. And mm. Terminator Genesis appeared on mine, and I hasten to add, it's not because I think it's that good. <laughs> not that I think it's necessarily that bad either, but I just happen to not have seen that many films at the cinema so far this year because we were just not getting. You must have seen at least five films. Yeah, but I placed Terminator over Age of Ultron. I prefer. I, I probably would. I probably would as well. So, um, um, I've seen seven films in the cinema on the Isle of Man this year. And that was the five I put up there, plus Age of Ultron. And the one that I panned was um, Fifty Shades Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey, which was mightily the correct thing to do. Oh, God, I hate that film. But anyway, Terminator Genesis. So what was the the general consensus from you guys? Because it it seemed to be sort of up and down in some people's explanation. I think some people hated it. Some people thought it was okay. I thought it was all right. You didn't watch it, did you, Steve? No. No, uh, I thought it was okay. I didn't think it was fantastic. Callum was furious about it. He <laughs> absolutely <laughs> hated it. Callum's furious for everything. What is he happy about? Voices. Magic, magic, magic Mike. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> See, the, the the thing I would have as a point of discussion with, with, with Callum, if he doesn't like it, which is fine, because I can totally understand why some people would think it's rubbish, because it takes a, a great big shit on the whole law of Terminator in general. 
Um, but in its own isolated bubble, I found it reasonably entertaining. I just didn't view it as part of the existing mythology or at least yeah. in any way connected to the first two movies. If you completely disconnect them, those first two are amazing and all-time classics, and this is just an okay film in its own right. But well, I think that was mainly like his argument about why he hated it so much, that it costs... I mean, it is literally when you when you think about it, it's an obscene amount of money. One hundred and fifty five million dollars was put into Terminator Genesis. And his argument basically was, you know, I'm just going to play devil's advocate a little bit with with, with his opinion, was that for that money to produce a film that people just go, no, it's OK, is kind of offensive because. It's but that is so many movies, though. Okay, that's just yeah. summer blockbusters 101, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he, and I think he, it's he has general... this opinion of Terminator Genesis. If he doesn't like it, that's fine. I'm not saying yeah. he should like it. It's quite easy to dislike it. But on the other hand, the reasons he criticizes Terminator Genesis are the precise reasons he absolutely lauded Jurassic World, that it's dumbed down, stupid, it lacks any sense of realism or even a, a good connection to the first movie. But yet he absolutely adored that. And I liked Jurassic World. It was good fun. You're Again, taken on its own merit. But... No, you're all wrong about Jurassic World. It was, <laughs> it, was, it was awful. Actually, I should have put that as my worst film of the year. I don't know why I did it. It was terrible. I you liked because that. You, had, you watched United Passions. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I so like Jurassic United, World other than the United fact that didn't have a dinosaur in it. Yeah, true. Sorry, sorry, Matt, carry on. So anyway, the whole point would be that if we're looking at Callum's review of it as an example of why it's bad, he seemed to like Jurassic World for the same reasons, which for me is a little bit strange. But Terminator Genesis, it shouldn't be in any way, shape or form um, compared to to the original Terminator or Judgment Day, it it barely associates with them whatsoever, other than the the certain scenes that it reproduces from the first film. But um, I found that Arnold Schwarzenegger's role in it as Pops, he was a little bit too personable. You know, he's only a Terminator by name. He seems to get his arse handed to him constantly, so he's not even that sort of threatening, even in a defensive manner for Sarah Connor's bodyguard or anything but on the whole it was just a stupid action movie and the the complexities of time travel were sort of thought provoking within it but I enjoyed it um, I doubt I'll ever watch it again quite frankly it, one thing it did make me want to do though is go back and revisit Terminator Salvation which I haven't done oh, yet really? but I will do just to sort of compare which one of those I prefer. Because again, Terminator Salvation isn't a film I really, really liked, but I thought it was okay. And I would quite like to go back and see how I feel about that, having seen this one now, and try to determine which one's a more suitable continuation of the timeline based on the original two movies. I haven't seen Terminator 3, and I never will do, because I just know I'll hate it. <laughs> it's I, terrible. I, watched Terminator 3. Yeah. I pretended it didn't exist. But, um, so, yeah, on the whole, Terminator Genesis, if you haven't seen it, I think it's worth a go if you're a Terminator fan, but just don't expect too much. And I think you'll get your seven or eight quiz entry fees worth out of it, but you probably won't want to buy it on the home release, but that's okay. You don't have it, to own every film you see. 
it's kind of everything that you would expect from an over two hour long twelve A Terminator film, really. I think. Yeah. It, just, it doesn't exceed any expectations, but it's not as bad as perhaps some people might. Think. I think it is. So finally for this week's podcast, we're reviewing the latest film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Ant-Man, uh, starring Michael Douglas as Ant-Man and Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. <laughs> uh, we yeah. will be doing a spoiler alert for this film, as we do for um, every kind of film of this type. And Matt is with us, <clears> time, <throat> so won't <throat> ruin it for himself. <laughs> Although you haven't seen the film, have you, Matt? No, and I'm not going to go watch it, so I'll, I'll sit and listen and read it to myself. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, the first question is then, what did we think of Ant-Man? Loved Do you it. want to start, Brooker? Because you, you saw it a while ago, didn't you? Yeah, I saw it a couple of weeks ago. I, I wangled my way into the uh, regional premiere and, and sat and watched it. No, I, I really, really liked it. It, it felt like... Back to basics, Marvel. Uh, I mean, after the god awful Age of Ultron, I felt it felt like they just kind of condensed it down to just one little story, and you know, tell this one guy's story for a couple of hours and leave it there. And it, I really, really enjoyed it. It it felt very simplistic compared to everything else. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think there's a couple of things that didn't quite work for me. A lot of the humour with like his. Um, sidekicks or gang or whatever didn't <laughs> didn't quite didn't quite work for me um and i don't think the bad guy really worked never felt him kind of threatening enough um no but other than other than that i agree with you it was it was a good enjoyable film the two the two central characters michael douglas as as hank pym and um paul rudder scott lang they were both really good um mm. that that worked really well that was you know, two, um, you know, two really good performances. Um, I think Evangeline Lilly was quite good as well. I do like her as um, uh, an actress in these sort of films because uh, even in the Hobbit films, she was quite good. I thought she was one of the the better performances in, yeah. performers in the the Hobbits. And uh, and I thought, I thought I thought the action going from you know really small to really not the I mean the action with him, with him being Ant Man and really tiny worked fine. But the bits where he was jumping between in the same scenes, really small and really big, didn't look stupid at all. They were they were well done. However, they did do them. They were they were well done. Mm. Uh, they looked f- fluid, mm-hmm. for want of a better word. It, the, it looked like it fit. It didn't look like it was really shit CGI between the, big and little. The best miniaturization on on film since Honey I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was it was um, an interesting film, and it's again though how like Marvel with each of their movies. So we've talked obviously about all of them in the past, but they they try to make each one have a a, a certain subgenre feel to it. Yeah. So yeah. like Captain America's like an a, adventure film, Thor's I, I the think, fantasy. I think the last Captain America was more like your political thriller, and that was yeah, it? that was more like a yeah, um, exactly. Oh, it, oh, Iron Man's like your techno blockbuster, and um, then this was like a, a heist film. Yeah, really. You know, he assembles a team, he steals some stuff, 
or steal some shit. Yeah, that was the. You've, that got, was the... you've got a montage of him having to get something to to pull off the heist, and you've got montage after montage after montage after montage in Ant Man. That film a, is I... entirely made up of montage sequences. I do love a montage. Uh, you, you know, as long as um, the story's good between the montage scenes, it was kind of. I, I did get a bit annoyed with it eventually. I thought you can just you can have a story without just constantly condensing everything down to about a two minute or ninety second long assemble. Or of have stuff. or have the South Park Team America montage. Sorry. Or you can have the montage music. Yeah, um, it was getting a bit annoying as it was 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 going on those those scenes, but. Mostly, though, I did find the film kind of enjoyable. I thought it was quite fun. There was there was some scenes in it. I mean, has anyone got a particular favourite scene without going into spoiler territory just yet? Is there anything that stands out from I, it? I just like Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, Tom, creepy Thomas the Tank Engine. I like, yeah. I've, I've liked Thomas the Tank Engine since I was a child. And that's just, I just, just liked it. It's just fun to see him. <laughs> and, and even though that bit was in the, even though that bit was in the trailer that bit was still quite good on the you know the extended yeah. full scene of it was still quite good on the um the I, big yeah. screen I think it's an example of marketing actually working quite well in a trailer because a lot of people would have been more interested in seeing it because of that scene from the trailer Yeah I um, think I think I mean they did throw a couple of the of carriages and trucks in there that weren't Isle of Sodor standard, but I think they might have had his coaches the wrong way round as well. Is that uh, right? I think uh, they may have done. I, I think they might have had um, Clara at the front and Annie at the back, which isn't how they go. And um, I did peg you for an enthusiast, and I'll be honest. No, I must admit, I did notice that in the film, I think, and it did annoy me a bit, kind of ruined the experience, but... Uh, <laughs> you know. Oh, dear. I don't know why what? I noticed that. That's really sad. How can you be a top? I can understand like being a Star Wars or Star Trek geek, but Thomas the Tank Engine one. Are you seriously com- coming out as a Star uh, a Star Trek fan? As a Thomas the Tank Engine enthusiast? No, no, no. no. When I was eight, I was. There's nothing wrong with it when you're eight. They're just more of a casual fan these days. If they made a Thomas the Tank Engine movie, I'd go and watch it. Like a I'm proper, a week. proper one. It's out this week. Yeah, as Brooker just said. Yeah, but it's not in the cinema. Yes, it is. Is it? Yeah. Well, I'm not going. I'm not going to go. And see it. <laughs> well, how quickly you backpedal? Yeah, I'm not going to go and see. It, I'll be honest. You can't beat a good Tommy Tank. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, Matt. Exactly, exactly. Everyone's sentiments. You massive perv. <laughs> oh dear. Um, it's anyway, back, anyway. Matt. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got. Um, I annoyed someone recently online because I called it Thomas the Tank, and they're very pedantic and said he's not a tank. He's not though. No, well, you know, it's just shorthand, isn't it? Would have been a much more interesting scene than Ant-Man. Yeah, possibly. Although, there is a is that a spoiler for me to say there's a tank? I don't think so. That was quite a good scene. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway. Um, but yeah, I, okay. th- I thought Michael Douglas was really good in this. The bit at the very start of the film where they use some kind of CGI and makeup combination to make him look like a young Michael Douglas was kind of creepy. It's bizarre when they do that. Because he does just look like a, the older, you know, Michael Douglas from the um, from the 90s and stuff. It's a bit strange. They've done, they did that really well, but it was a bit creepy, all the same. 
Just looked like he got home of that hair dye that Shane Warne advertises. <laughs> it was a bit better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that was yeah, that was good, and it, it tied it in nicely with um, you know why he's why he's not involved with with Shield whoever anymore right at the start and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was good because it tied you know it it did tie it into the current Marvel universe, which is has been a a debating topic about Ant Man. In some people are very disappointed that Edgar Wright left the project, and most of the things they enjoyed in Ant Man, they are arbitrarily without any reason or um, proof or evidence attributing that to, to to Edgar Wright, which I think is really doing a disservice to the job that Peyton Reed's done with it. I think he. He, he took on that project in very trying circumstances. Nobody wanted Edgar Wright to quit. I think I think what you can say is, obviously, it's quite hard to tell without looking into the film in more detail and reading up on it, whose bits are what. But obviously, the film worked. So the bits that Edgar Wright done and they left in worked. The bits that people picked up after he left and carried on worked. The film works as a whole. And yeah, it, exactly. And it's a testament to the people who worked on it both before and after Edgar Wright left, that they've managed to pull it off. Yeah. But it's. I think mainly it's because he still was involved with the screenplay, wasn't he? Joe Cornish and Edgar Wright pretty much put this film together. Yeah. Um, years ago. Was it 2005 they first started to work on it, I think? So, it's, you know, it's been around knocking about for about 10 years. It um, did have a bit of an Edgar... It, didn't, it certainly had an Edgar Wright feel to it in parts. It had his his fingerprints all over it. There was no doubt about that. But it didn't feel like, um, you know, it wasn't like Scott Pilgrim. It wasn't like Shaun of the Dead. It was just, it felt like a different sort of film, to be Mm. fair. Um, But yeah, I mean, Paul Rudd really kind of made the film enjoyable, I think. I've not seen seen Paul Rudd in a non-comedy role before, I don't think. Was this a non-comedy role though? Well, it wasn't. I mean, a, it wasn't an out-and-out out comedy, was it? It wasn't like I guess not. Yeah. Or no, you're right. Yeah, Anchorman. He, or... he really impressed me because I was kind of worried because he is a comedy actor, isn't he? He's in, you know, Friends and Role Models, and he's a proper comedy guy. And I was really concerned that he was not going to be the right person to play Ant Man, but he really impressed me. But he does kind of play um, the more straight versions of comedic. Characters, yeah. doesn't he? Um, I, uh, well, I mean, you know, Brian Fantana's a bit of a... Uh, Anchorman excluded, yeah. But, you know, if you think of him in role models, as Brooke mentioned, or Friends, he's not like um, he's not like his role in Anchorman, is he? No. So, mm. no he's not a goofy dude, is he? He's not goofy, he's not slapstick. Um, he's but... not straight with most of his comedy, and I think that's why he works so well in Ant-Man. Precisely, yeah. But it's like um, they've got a track record for this now, because Marvel, I mean, because Chris Pratt as well. They turned him basically into uh, the current sort of movie superstar that he is. Yeah. Took him from playing this kind of goofy character in um, Parks and Rec and brought him into Part the sort of mainstream movie blockbuster. Part work. of that is that he got himself ripped. That probably yeah. helped. Because he, also... he was a chubby dude in Parks and Rec. 
and now and oh, now yeah. he's the very handsome man. <laughs> very handsome man. Yeah. Um but Paul Rudd also seems to have yeah, worked Paul Rudd buffed up a little not as much as Chris Pratt did, but Paul Rudd buffed up a little bit for Ant Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, Matt, you've been quiet a while. Did you uh, quiet for a while? Did you um, have you seen any of Paul Rudd's previous work? He's one of those ones where I recognise him, and I've probably seen him in lots of films. I can't think of one thing off the top of my head. Okay, fire, uh, fire some at me that he's been in. Uh, Anchorman. Never seen Anchorman. Okay, oh not seen that. Um, he was Phoebe's boyfriend in the last series of Friends. Seen Friends, but I haven't seen those particular episodes. This isn't going very well, is it? <laughs> um, what else has he been in? Um, Anchorman 2. No, I've not seen that either. Being, was it this? This is 30? Yeah. He was I'm in. Just, I'm just going to have a look at his eyes. I Love You, Man. I haven't yeah. seen it, but I know of it. Yes, I, like, I like that. Um, he... That was the one with Dude from King of Queens. I've forgotten his name. No, it was with um... Jason Siegel. Yeah, okay. Jason Se- Jason Seagulls. <laughs> uh, this is, no cameoed in this is the end. Um, so I'd have seen him in the forty-year-old version. I've seen that. Yeah. Okay. Forgetting well, they... Sarah Marshall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think who he was, not that? He was Chuck. Sadly, so... I don't watch many Jason Seagull movies. I like Jason Seagull. <laughs> I don't. Care either way for him, but I also felt the felt the same way about Paul Rudd. Didn't really. I know he's got quite a big fan base actually. Paul Rudd, surprisingly, um, but I didn't really care about him either way before the film either. He was in Forty Year Old Virgin. Yeah, but you know, one person who's in the film who seems to have annoyed a lot of people before he was in it, uh, which also surprised me um, slightly, was Michael Penner. I loved that dude. I loved I, that dude in everything, but I loved him in Ant Man. I didn't. I didn't like much of the comedy stuff, but I did like his bits where he was going back, like explaining how he his narration. Yeah, like how he, how he, how how he got into the situation, or how he'd found out some certain information. That yeah. was quite good, but like, but it's part of like the comic relief with the other two in in the crew. I didn't get, but those two bits I did, or two or three bits I did like. Yeah, because he was great in um, Fury quite recently and End of Watch a couple of years back. Um, yeah, this is a kind of different film to what I've different role to what I've seen him in. Yeah, same, same. Well, he's still kind of rolled in that comic comic relief a little bit in uh, End of Watch with a similar kind of. And Fury, he was a, he was the Fury funnier well. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, a lot of people seem to really dislike him, and I'm not sure why. I thought he. You know, I've not seen anything I've, I've disliked him in. Um, and I thought he was, he, he was actually pretty good in this as well, to be fair to him. Uh, so essentially then, really, Ant-Man, worth, worth watching for, especially those, um, well, return to form as such for the Marvel lot after uh, yeah. after yeah. Age of Ultron, which was a bit disappointing, despite the box office juggernaut it seemed to be. Yeah, I will just caveat this Ant-Man review, by the way, and say that it's good, but I think it's another case of non-Marvel fans probably won't get it. I think it's very much a film for people who are already on board with comic book movies. Yeah. 
at the same time, though, you could say it's very easy to pick up Ant-Man without having seen the rest of the Marvel Universe, because you don't need to know anything else. No, there's not well, really... The, the, yeah, sorry, carry on, Steve. There's only one real bit where, you, where you'd kind of need to have seen other Marvel films to kind of get it. Other than that, it's just sort of... And even then, it doesn't really kind of ruin the story not knowing what's it's, going on. It's Marvel's The Bank Job without Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, as soon as they get him into a role, that film will be box office dynamite. What, what would he play? Who would he play? Luther. Um, Captain Britain. Captain Britain. God. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was it that Latham and Tony Cap- came Captain up? Midlands. Captain Midlands. Captain Midlands, yeah. That'd be good. No, I think... It- we could have. I think Danny Dyer would be a shoo in for Captain Britain. Um, he is box office. I've used that phrase a couple of times this evening, but he is, you know, track record now of. They should just start doing the the, the British Marvel superheroes and integrating Danny Dyer and Jason Statham into roles. Pretty sure that's just renaming characters in Lockstock. Because <laughs> you could you could have like Statham doing the film one, so like the Ant Man version of the British superheroes or the Captain America version, then you have Danny Dyer doing the TV one, like the Daredevil version, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. I, there was an interesting topic of conversation I've seen um, brewing ever since Ant-Man came out, actually. Um, I don't know if it was to coincide with it or... Oh, no, it, I know what it was. It was because the new Mission Impossible film's coming out soon. People were saying that Tom Cruise is the last movie star. There are no people who get by making so much money um, and drawing on the one sheet just for having the name on there. Um, and it's kind of it's kind of a sad state of affairs in a way. But uh, the Rock, but the Rock is the sim- is in a similar situation. I think it probably isn't quite as big a draw as Tom Cruise is, but he's another one. Jason Statham, I would argue, is as well. See, I wouldn't say Tom Cruise is anymore. I mean, they had pretty lacklustre numbers for Jack Reacher the other year, didn't they? And the only draw for that was him. Yeah. I mean, I I hadn't read the books. So I knew nothing about it. I went to see it because it was... Yeah. Werner Herzog was actually in that, speaking of him earlier. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Tom Cruise is too old to be that kind of draw now. Because you're not going to get many women who go, oh, go crazy for Tom Cruise. He's like in his mid-50s and he's trying to still do hunky action movie. It just well, doesn't make sense. But the dude is still hanging off of planes as they take off. He's, he's all right in my book. He's literally, yeah, because they keep making a big song and dance about the new Mission Impossible film. That when you see him literally holding onto the side of a plane as he takes off, he's doing that. That's not fake at all. He still does all his own stunts. Even in, you know, Jack Reacher, he did all the driving himself and... He has done for a long time. He's yeah, yeah. He's got a reputation. He seems for it. like a good lad, even though he is a weird Scientologist. <laughs> I think that there was an interesting story from Russell Brand when he worked on Rock of Ages with Tom Cruise, and he says that Tom, you couldn't ask for a nicer guy to work with on set. He's really, a, you know, really nice guy, and everyone always says that about him. I don't know where it seems a bit cultish, but everyone always says, "Oh, Tom Cruise is great. He's really friendly. Chats to all the." the the crew and every all the actors and all that, but nobody ever says no to Tom Cruise. Anything he wants, he gets. So he's just like, in... so nice. <laughs> Probably, yeah. So in Rock of Ages, there was a story that he said 
I think my character should have a baboon. And they went, are you, okay, Tom Cruise, we'll get you a baboon. Within an hour, there was a baboon on set from the local zoo. <laughs> See, if I knew people weren't going to say no, I'd try all kinds of shit like that. <laughs> yeah, but there could be possibly to do with it. You're just waiting for the limit. He's like yeah. a kid constantly testing their parents. When's the, where's the line? But, yeah. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, um, that's it, kind of it for our main review of Adman. Uh, we will be doing spoiler alert shortly. Um, so we'll, but we'll let you know for definite when that's coming up so you can turn off if you don't want Adman spoiled. Before we go, some recommendations for the week ahead. There's quite a lot of good films on telly on Friday night. I'm going to go with BBC One at 20 past 11 and I'm going for Castaway. I really like Castaway. I like Castaway. Uh, it's one of those films you shouldn't like because it's just saccharine Tom Cruise, but it's good. I Tom, think it's quite Tom Hanks. Tom, Tom Hanks. Tom, Tom Hanks. Sorry, yeah. Wrong sorry. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> now, if Tom Cruise had been in Castaway, I might have liked it. <laughs> well, just hanging off a beach ball. Doing, doing his own stunt. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yes, yeah, so Owen. Um, on Monday, on Film Four at five to eleven in the evening, is the place beyond the pines. With Ryan Gosling and Bradley Cooper. Yeah, by Derek C. France. Long film, so set your recorder. Don't stay up to watch it. Um, but it's brilliant. It was one of my favourite films of 2012. Okay. I loved that movie. Uh, Brooker? Uh, so, actually, we've talked about it already once tonight. So, Sunday at 10 to 11 on Film 4 is uh, End of Watch is on. Hey. And Matt? Oh, Wow. It's only the movie event of 2015 on Thursday night, 10 o'clock on Sci-Fi. <laughs> the Sharknado 3, oh hell no. Oh yes. I can't wait for this movie. I love the first two because they are the perfect example of films that are so bad that they end up being so much fun. And I'm going to sit down and watch it with my missus and get extremely drunk and laugh my ass off. I Thursday this is, isn't it? Thursday, 10 o'clock on yeah. Sci-Fi. Right. I've got a friend who's coming over on Thursday and you've just decided what we're going to do that evening. Yeah, good night. Yep, yep. get drunk, watch Sharknado 3. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. Mm. Are you going to live tweet it and stay up as well, Steve? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, think, I think we have to. I think we all need to get on board for this one because last year's was pretty good fun. It was great, yeah. 10 o'clock anyway. No, I'll be <laughs> The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash FailedCritics. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so, spoiler alert then for Ant-Man, and I suppose the biggest, um, the, the, the biggest thing to come out of it was the quite obvious mention of Spider-Man. Yes, snuck in there sneakily. Yes, by Michael Penner in one of his um, 
yeah his, his, his accounts of yeah yeah uh, yeah, so it was a guy who can jump, a guy who can swing, and a guy who can climb walls. Yes, and assuming they're not three separate guys. Yeah. Um, can Doctor Strange jump? That's, most people can jump. Yeah, not white men. Yeah. White men can't. No. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, it looks like Spider-Man got his first mention in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yes. But no cameo, no post-credits appearance. Um, which was sort of to be expected, wasn't it, really? Well, they only just cast the guy, haven't they? So. It, precisely, yeah, yeah. Um, um. So, yes, that, but that, that tees his, him up nicely for uh, for future involvement. Um, and yeah. Obviously, obviously the, the, the post-credit scene, the, the end credit scene with um, Captain America, uh, Falcon, and, and Bucky as well. The Winter Soldier, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Yes, um, and See, then... I, I didn't stay for the stinger. I, I'm sick of stingers. I stayed for the one that was mid-credits because, you know, it's, they say mid-credits, but it's quite near the end of the film. I'm, yeah. I'm happy to stick around for that, but just waiting until the very end of the film well, they've what been, they've, is quite they've, often largely disappointing. They've been a bit crap lately, but this one was actually good. Yeah. Um, we, we you know, obviously mentions Iron Man can't help her. He's doing something. He couldn't help if he wanted to. He's busy. He's on something else. Mm. We can't rely on Iron Man, but Falcon knows a guy. Yeah, yeah. got guy who can shrink or something. Wasn't yeah, it? Um, or guy with a suit. I think he says. Yeah, because yeah. he um obviously there's a scene in Ant Man where Ant Man turns up thinking it's just some dis- this this uh, disused facility and it's not. It's the new home of the Avengers and has a little fight with Falcon. Yeah, that whole subplot was pointless. The fight was fun though. Yeah, the, the fight was fun. It was a fun scene, but that whole subplot. Oh, we've got to break into this facility and steal this thing to put into the computer. But to does do that in every heist think, movie? Well, they've, yeah, got to, think... they've got to do a little heist to get something for the big heist. It it really like it could have been anything. There was pulling it in with the Avengers thing was just. I can see why it got people's backs up because it did feel a little tacked on. I liked it because you didn't really see it coming. Until he came out and found that actually where he was, the the fight scene with Falcon was quite good, and I just thought it was I just thought it was fine. It was it kind it kind of explains that it kind of brought something into it new that there's these superheroes or whatever you want to call them that the Avengers don't actually know about. So all all they all they got out of it was a flashing brick that they pull in like a tray. It was kind of. Well, that's the payoff to the whole scene. Don't understand science and how it works. (laughs) Yeah. It's basically the. It's basically from what I could see the same thing that in Ocean's Eleven Don Cheadle blows up in a van to turn off all the electric, <laughs> but a <laughs> smaller a version. Dodgy accent. Yeah. yeah, he's not pretending to be uh, British. Yeah. I'm, I'm An- quite, another role that Danny Dyer could have done. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many opportunities that he's missing. Yeah, I don't yeah. think he's missing. I think Hollywood's missing. Yeah, America's missing out on. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that was really good in this film, I thought, was the, uh, the action scenes that we talked about. So the fight with Falcon was good. Also, the fight with Yellow Jacket was pretty good. Yeah. The one that you see clip of in the trailer, where he's been run over by Thomas the Tank Engine, was pretty good, that whole fight scene. 
It was Dude, the scale of it and supersized Thomas the Tank Engine. Maybe the scariest thing I've ever seen in my entire. His life. eyes, well, yeah. Fucking smile and those eyes. <laughs> till the day I die. I've yeah. s- I've seen a, a a real size Thomas the Tank Engine. So. A smile like that. Yeah, that's the same smile. Because basically, there's a ste- little steam railway in the town I'm from. And when I was a kid, they used to do Thomas the Tank Engine weekends where you'd actually get the real Thomas the Tank Engine down there pulling carriages and that. And you'd go on it. When you were a kid. Yeah. No, they stopped, they've, marks. They've yeah. stopped, they, no they've stopped doing it now. <laughs> Thomas the Tank Engine's too expensive to hire. It's not, it's not financially viable it's anymore. It's become unionised. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can't get him these days for... It's a driver's always going on strike. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, th- there was one thing that I mean, what did anything really annoy you that we haven't talked about yet? I want to see if it's the, the same uh, for anyone. The other people in the cinema. <laughs> yeah, oh no, not Seriously, again! I mean, can we just? We're twelve films in. Why are people still leaving before the mid-credit scene comes in? <laughs> I can sympathise. I think there's not much point sticking around for them, particularly as most of the time they're on YouTube. Well, Straight away. Or they've, or they've got Howard the Duck in them. Ah, <laughs> I love I the Howard the Duck one. I thought that was awesome. Matt, do you ever stick around for these stingers when you go to Marvel films? Yeah, because I'd feel like a bit of a knob if I didn't. And I enjoyed um, the Howard the Duck one and, and Guardians of the Galaxy. It was quite funny. I'm, I know why you do it. If you don't, you've got to go back out into the Isle of Man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I Felt dissatisfied as an example of the recent one after the most recent X-Men where it showed you the whole apocalypse thing. Mm. I felt that was stingy to make you wait that long for something so lacking. It was barely a hint of what was coming up. The X-Men thing kind of bouncing off the, the Marvel coattails, though, isn't it? Yeah. Just making people sit there for something, anything. Although didn't X-Men 3, was it X-Men 3 have a post credit stinger? That was out before Marvel really took off, wasn't it? I don't remember. Yeah, I think that was the one where one of them had something with the Phoenix, didn't they? No, it was it was um, it was Professor Xavier. Oh, that's right. He gets disintegrated, and then at the end of that scene, you see a doctor talking to his his silhouette or his hand or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it was after X Men Three, right? Yeah, yeah. But that was that was Professor X was dead. Exactly, yeah. Um, which they've still not explained in the X Men universe why he's black, have they? No. He's just there now. He was disintegrated in X Men 3, and now we're going to pretend that film never happened. That's because he's Patrick Stewart. You can't kill Patrick Stewart. Oh, yeah, impossible. Yeah, so they're very hit and miss for me. But uh, mm-hmm. I, you, you tend to get an idea of what you're going to see before you go and see them, and you can decide off that whether you should stick around or not. The history of the post credit scene. Maybe trace back to at least 1963 with uh, from Russia with Love, which was the first James Bond film to show the ubiquitous James Bond will return in dot 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 at the end of the credits. Wow. Uh, 1978 movie Superman also featured a tagline promoting the film's sequel. Um, there you go. No, I remember they were doing that a little bit in Transformers the, the, the movie '86, where they the, said Optimus Prime would return after dying. And the, the original, <laughs> the original shooting script for Superman did feature a post-credit scene that featured General Zod, Ursa, and Non being rele- being freed from the Phantom Zone following the credits. Yeah. Oh, I'll right. tell you one I remember from my childhood that never came to fruition. 
the end of Masters of the Universe. <laughs> Frank Langella pops up again at the end, yes. saying he'll be, he'll be back, and they never made the sequel. It's bullshit. Oh, it's heartbreaking, that is. It is. That's one of my favourite bad films. I love Masters of the Universe on a sequel. Yeah. There was a there was a story in um, the Canon Films documentary I watched, Electric Bugaloo, where they talk about that. And Sylvester Stallone just walks up on set one day, and he's talking to the the scriptwriters, and he looks at Dolph, and then he looks back at them, and he says, "You gave that guy lines." Because <laughs> 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 he was a, yeah, I mean, he's not a great actor, is he, Dolph? I do love him, but my God, that film is just terrible. Yeah, but it's so good. <laughs> It's it's bla- you really should watch Electric Boogaloo, Matt. I've, I've downloaded you... it. I've, I've you got it. Excellent. I meant I meant to watch it whilst I was like hanging around in airports when I went on holiday in June, but never got around to it. But I will watch it at some point because I love that whole era of canon films, so it should be quite interesting. Well, all quite... the stories about Masters of the Universe are really entertaining, actually. I'm quite looking forward to watching it. I downloaded it myself, ready to watch. Yeah, it's great. One of my favourite films of the year. Never mind documentaries. Um, but yeah, Ant-Man, anyway. Ant-Man, um, back to Ant-Man. Back on track. Um, yeah, uh, kind of, I feel like I've, I don't really have anything left to say about it now. I think I've uh, made my point. No, I did, I, did, I did kind of like the bit where um, Scott Lang says to Hank Pym, I think the first thing we should do is call the Avengers because everyone kind of says in, now in the individual character films, why don't they just call the Avengers? So it's kind of a little nod to that, I suppose, and kind yeah, of explains why he didn't want to call the Avengers. I quite liked it. Kind of like, I suppose, admitting to the audience that it's part of the Marvel universe without making it an Avengers film. Yeah, or or just kind of saying to them, look, sometimes these people do stuff on their own. You can't have the yeah. Avengers all the time. It would make things really boring, and we can't it, afford to. It actually does quite well to make the Avengers as like a bit of a barricade as well. Yeah. And, you know, the, it brings up the fact that, you know, oh, the Avengers, those guys who dropped the city, uh, whatever it was, you know. Yeah. And it's kind of like, that's all it needed for me. It didn't need to go the full whole hog of him breaking into the Avengers facility and stealing the MacGuffin. It was just... Mm. Anyway, I think that's about all we can say on Ant-Man. Um, so this is probably the last spoiler alert until the next superhero movie. Yeah, possibly. I don't know what the next one is. Um, the what, sorry? It's got to be Civil War, isn't it? Surely that's the next one. Is that going to be the next we'll, we'll Marvel? Do, or... I mean, we'll definitely end up doing a, a spoiler alert for Star Wars, I imagine, the one where Owen's banned. Oh, yeah. I'm going to have a week off. Yeah. <laughs> Get your Christmas shopping done for that one. And... <laughs> yeah. Um, There's... Um... Yeah, I can't think. I'm sure there's another superhero film coming out this year. I just can't. I'm racking my brains trying to. Oh, Fantastic Four, of course. Oh, bollocks. Bothered. Yeah, you you can have that one. Yeah, oh, thanks. I'll do that. <laughs> right, Fantastic Four. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell. Pun. Anyway, that's all for the podcast for this week. Thanks for joining us. Uh, and we'll be back next week with our TV special. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.